Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. For those of you present and those of you by live stream, you have been informed that there is a little handout for those that learn visually to be able to follow along and do a little writing while I preach these two messages to you today. Do not work ahead in the handout. Here's the terrible problem of a handout today. If you work ahead on that handout, then you are a wayside hearer. And you get condemned by the first parable. Let me lead you through the handout. I know it's hard. I'd be sorely tempted if I was sitting there in your place. Sorely tempted. But I hope you can hold back and we'll work our way through this page. Matthew chapter 13. A beautiful chapter, 58 verses long. I cannot cover it in detail, but we will cover it, the Lord willing. It breaks into very many parts, but I'll not explain to you. You can look at it later. There are very obvious divisions in the chapter. There are eight parables to find. There are two explanations to find. There are three reasons for the parables and Jesus speaking of them. There is a setting to open it, and there is a conclusion that closes it. And there's a lot of stuff in Matthew chapter 13. May the Lord bless us. Is the sun on your face? Is the sun on your face standing there on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee? Capernaum is on the western side, which means you're sort of facing the east as the Lord Jesus sits on a boat and teaches us. Let's revel in the fact that the founder of our religion and the head and the cornerstone of our church and the apostle and bishop of our souls and our great high priest and only mediator is going to teach us today right. in Matthew chapter 13. Recent preaching about the role election plays in responding to the gospel, which I preached to you last Sunday, fits here very well. Many love to wear paraphernalia of WWJD, but let us humble ourselves to what Jesus actually taught us to do. Amen. Trying to figure out what he would do in a car at a traffic light is a little different than what he told us to do. And in Matthew 13, he told us what he wanted us to do. Many also have another Jesus to fit their lifestyle, but the real Jesus taught his lifestyle. Amen. Parables are obscure stories, sometimes with details that are relatively irrelevant to the intended lesson. And so we're going to have to do that about eight times today, and the Lord's going to help us on a couple of them. It's an error of study and interpretation to focus on the details and be distracted from the lesson. And I've been through this so many times, I hope the whole church knows it. That parables, like the parable of the prodigal son, you can easily be led astray by all the details. Like the two pence, and the hotel, and the wine, and the oil, and so forth and so on, when the whole parable is just to answer this question, who is my neighbor? Someone culturally different than you are that you don't like. That's who your neighbor is. The whole parable is for that. And if you get hung up on the two pence or the innkeeper or the inn, thinking it's a gospel church and a preacher, and he's got two testaments in his Bible, you are seriously messed up. And on and on they go. They can bring tears to your eyes. 
as they abuse, misuse, corrupt, pervert Jesus Christ's parable of the prodigal son. So don't, let's not do that. The general lesson or truth intended by Jesus is what we should always emphasize over the insignificant details. The word kingdom appears 12 times in this chapter. That's the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament gospel era. It indicates lessons about the religion of our Lord Jesus. The kingdom of heaven should be grasped as the spiritual reign of Jesus over believers in the New Testament era. Things we learned in the last number of chapters of the book of Isaiah. And we learned them well and we had them repeated to us there. We are not full preterists. So two occurrences of end of the world, and end of the world only occurs a few times in the New Testament. Very few. Five. And only two of them are quite like these two. We're not full preterists, so the two occurrences of end of the world do not move us away from judgment day of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the ignorant fishermen of Galilee understood everything by the end of this chapter, and I mean that all respectfully at that point in their careers, then so can we. Rather than being exhaustive of some of the great topics raised here, the goal is to grasp the main lessons. So I read to you the setting of verses 1 and 2. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. The Sabbath day described in Matthew chapter 12 is the day that is under reference here. They are most likely in Capernaum. There's a lot of evidence for Capernaum. It's not important to, the, to Matthew chapter 13. Capernaum was a city where Jesus spent much time, and the Bible tells us it was a coastal city. And this was a coastal... Nazareth was not a coastal city. Nazareth was many miles inland from the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth was about 12 miles away from Capernaum. The house that they went in is very likely Peter and Andrew's house. Because if you go and read the other accounts of this in Mark and Luke, you're going to find that they went into Peter and Andrew's house when they were in Capernaum. But that's not important. But we have, it, we have the words there in the same day in verse 1, and the house, but he goes out to the seaside because there are so many people that want to hear him that won't fit into a house. And it says great multitudes, plural, were gathered together. So we had a multitude coming from this direction and a multitude from this town, and they came together and made, formed one big multitude. Because it says great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now I stand for you, and you sit. But in that time, they stood on the shore, because there really wasn't anything comfortable to sit on, and he sat, because teachers in the Bible sat when they preached and when they taught. They often sat. But the people stood. And these people were willing for a while, willing for a while to stand, like the crowd was in Nehemiah chapter 8. They stood from morning until midday because they wanted to hear the word of the God explained to them. That's the setting. We've got to keep moving through this chapter, as you can well imagine, with uh, 58 verses. So let's go to verses 3 through 9, and we have parable number 1. Parable number 1 is going to be given in verses 3 through 9, but no explanation. And here we go. Jesus is going to name it. 
And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. This is the parable of the sower. So you have a line in your handout to fill out. And hopefully, if writing stuff down helps you learn, then I'm going to help you learn Matthew 13 today. The Lord's given us a nice, convenient way to look at it. Eight parables, five lessons, three reasons for the use of parables, and a terrible conclusion. All in Matthew 13. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the red writing in your red letter edition Bibles. Verse 4 is where I'm taking up. And when he sowed, this man, this sower, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. If God has given you the ears to hear the preaching of Jesus Christ, then you're supposed to do something with it. Apply yourself and hear what he has to teach. This starts the parable, the parables chapter in verse 3 with the parable of the sower, which is very well known, which we can spend the least time on because it's been preached before. And Saturday's proverb commentary was all about it. You should have seen the consternation and surprise of your pastor when he opened up the proverb for Saturday and listened to it. You've got to be kidding me, Lord. Out of 915, I probably referenced the sower once. I'd already, what you're getting right now had already been long in preparation. But thank you, Lord, for that little confirmation. The parable is simple. Jesus is going to explain it later in this chapter. Do not waste much time researching planting or you're way off track. You're not a spiritually minded Christian. Planting was by hand scattering before planters. And that's why the seed could go just about anywhere. See, planters were invented by an Englishman in 1702. Very crude one, but it was one. And then in 1841 by Pennock, and two brothers named Pennock, instead of Wright brothers on a plane, it's two Pennock brothers out of Pennsylvania came up with planters. And so now planters are guided, and they can have 24, 48 little shoots going down in the ground and putting the seed under the soil as a tractor pulls them around with GPS. He's at home reading the Wall Street Journal and drinking coffee because GPS is guiding the tractor. It's, it's pretty incredible. But they scattered seed from a bag, so they just pull it out and scatter it so the seed's going to go in all kinds of places. When he sowed, verse 4, some seeds fell by the wayside. When scattering seed by hand, some fell on the hard-packed earth like paths or the edges of the field, which is the wayside. It's beside the way. It's not the field. It, but, but when you're flinging out a hand of seed, some of it's going to go on good soil that you've prepared. Some's going to go on the wayside, and some's going to land on these two other kinds of soil where you cannot see the stones and you cannot see the thorns. The thorns are in the so- soil and they're going to spring up. It says that. And the stones have soil over them, but thin soil. So the farmer, 
No farmer would, would throw his seed on stones. He knows better. He wouldn't throw it on the sidewalk because concrete is not good for seed. And he wouldn't throw it in a thorn bush, but that it's not recognizable. And so ministers preach the gospel and scatter it broad shotgun style, and they hit a congregation, and there's four kinds of hearers there. And the lesson is, we're going to get the lesson is that you want to take care of how you hear preaching. The soil, the soil at the wayside has not been turned by the plow, and the seed could not fall into open earth. And so it's exposed in the surface. It's readily visible and accessible to birds. And the birds come along and eat it and it's gone. That's verses 3 and 4 so far. Verse 5. Other seed fell on inferior ground that had a higher proportion of stones and less of soil. The sower didn't intend to waste his seed on stone, but it fell on the thin soil that hid the stone. Those seeds could not go down for good roots and sprang up quicker because they only had to grow through less soil. So they pop up quickly. I want to tell you something about conversion. Easy come, easy go. Just remember that. And so when they spring up quickly, anon with joy, they can pop up with joy, but they don't have to go very far, so they're seen first, and you're thinking, look at the zeal. No, it's just no root system and only a little bit of soil to pop up through. That's, that seed that fell into better soil has several inches to go through instead of just one or two of a veneer covering the stone. I hope you can understand it from the things I've read and from the things I'm explaining. No man throws his seed on a sidewalk. He throws it on soil, but it's thin soil because it's rocky in that part of the field. And it can't go down far, and it doesn't have to go up far until it is seen. But then when the sun comes out, as it's going to tell us here in verse 6, when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. They couldn't draw nutrients and water up out of the soil, and so it withered away as the sun dehydrated the thing, scorched it, and killed it. Forthwith, in verse 5, is immediately at once, without delay or interval, these seeds surfaced quickly. 7, verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. This is inferior ground that had thorn plants alive in the soil beside where the seeds fell. Notice it says in verse 7, the thorns sprung up. He didn't throw his seed into a thorn bush. No minister does that. He goes to a synagogue where there are people that fear God and he preaches the word to them like one is preaching the word to you today. But every single person is here is one of four grounds and we're not to tares yet because there's likely tares in here as well. But regenerate people can hear the word of God four different ways. They can hear it like good ground, thorny ground, stony ground, and the wayside. And if the truth be told and if we confess the truth, We've been all four kinds of ground at different times in our lives. There isn't a theological lesson here. There is a lesson of how do you hear and how do you respond to a preacher of Jesus Christ addressing your soul about important matters. The sower didn't intend to waste seed among thorns, but it fell on soil hiding the thorns. The thorns grew alongside the young plants and deprived them of soil, sun, and water. Verse 8. But other seed fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 30-fold. Good ground here is soil ready to receive seed without stones and without thorns. The fruit here is part of the metaphor. The seeds produce the crops the sower desired. 
All ground varies. All farmers' ground varies. A farmer that's got 160 acres knows where his best acres are because he has seen the yield out of those plants. Listen, have you ever been in a corn maze and you've looked at a cornfield of several acres and if some of that corn was seven feet tall, was there other corn in that same field that only made it to five or six feet? Were there a few in certain places that made it to eight feet? That's the difference in yield. Every farmer knows that. Not all soil is equal. And so that's the Lord's explanation. The seed is sowed in good ground and it brings forth a hundredfold in some places, 60-fold and 30-fold. And this fits the Lord's teaching that when he gives pounds to men, you know, some give back five because they were five. They were given five, they earned five to give ten. Some were two, earned two, and some weren't good ground. And they just held what they had and didn't grow anything at all. And so that's what verse 8 is referring to, that ground varies. And we have abilities that God's given us, and Christians spread throughout the world have pastors of different diligence, and they apply themselves by different diligence, so the Word of God brings forth more or less in different lives throughout the world. That's why Paul told Timothy that you better be studying and give thyself wholly to reading, to exhortation and doctrine, that thy profiting may appear unto all. Take heed to thyself, continue in both the doctrine and taking heed to yourself, so that you may save yourself and them that hear thee. And so there's different yields. Now, when I speak to you as a church, I want every one of you, as much as possible, to be hundredfold ground. The Lord's blessed us with so much. Let's choose. I want to bear as much fruit as possible. I want my stock doing this. I want my peach tree splitting down the middle because it's got peaches this big that weigh two pounds. It's a choice. There's fruitless, there's fruitless soil. doesn't yield anything. You wonder, what in the world? What kind of thorns choke their life out? Or why do they... We don't want to talk about that yet. That's his explanation. So verse 9, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This statement of Jesus is repeated twice in this chapter, I want you to know. So for those of you that write things down, it's here in verse 9, it's also in verse 43 where it says, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So if God's given you the ability to hear, and if God brings a preacher, because that's what you need is a preacher and ears to hear, then what should you do? You should hear. Focus on hearing. Focus on learning. Let's, right. We're standing there on the sea of Gal beside the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord Jesus is on a ship, and you, you should want to hear every syllable that comes out of his mouth. Amen. I want to learn everything that I can from him. And so the first parable is the parable of the sower. We don't have the lesson yet because we haven't got to his explanation and application. We've got to deal with something in between, and it's the first reason for parables. And for those of you that are wanting to start writing again, I'll go ahead and tell you ahead of time. It's conceal and reveal. The reason for parables, number one, reason number one for parables is conceal and reveal. Jesus preached in parables to conceal the truth from some who didn't deserve it and to reveal the truth to others who did. By his grace. Thank you, Lord, for that. So I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, 
but to them it is not given. Listen, brethren, we're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus releases verses 3 through 9. And you're thinking, nobody knows here, nobody knows what he's talking about. And see, yes, Peter, Peter comes up, Lord, why are, it has to be Peter. Lord, why are you speaking to them in parables? I don't think they understand. They're not supposed to understand, Peter. This is for you. I want you to understand. I'm going to explain these things to you later. It's not for them. Does that, is that a salvation, brother? The Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified for making that difference. Verse 11, I want to read again. Jesus answers as to why he spoke to them in parables. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. But in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And so, apostles, you are very blessed for the content that is in front of you. First, you're blessed because you have seeing eyes and hearing ears. I want you to think about these different blessings. The blessing of ability, then the blessing of content. Are you thankful to be on this side of John, Jesus, and the apostles? I do not want to listen to Samson teach me about the deep things of God. I don't even want Samson to teach me the shallow things of God. I want the apostles. We're so blessed. So blessed. So this is the reason for parables to reveal and conceal, or to conceal and reveal. Because in verse 11, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, that's reveal, but to them it is not given, that's to conceal. So I use parables, because they're not going to be able to understand, but I can explain to you later what I intended by the parable. You know, the disciples often ask questions, because our natural man... And our natural thinking doesn't always line up with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had to ask a similar question about his harshness in Matthew chapter 15 when he said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. Well, you know, that's a little crude. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, so it's absolutely holy crudeness. And they pull him aside and say, Lord, don't you know the Pharisees were just offended by that? Because you're basically comparing their religion to... And he says, they be blind leaders of the blind. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath hath not planted shall be rooted up. 
They're yeah. blind leaders of the blind. Let them both fall into the ditch. So Peter's put in his place again. Then over in John chapter 6, they come and say, Lord, don't you know that was hard doctrine? These people don't really understand what you're saying about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. Oh, does that bother you? Let me tell you something else. What are you going to do when the Son of Man ascends up to heaven where he was before? You know, I already told you that except the Father draw a man, he cannot believe on me. I've already explained this before, so you want to bring it to my attention that that was too hard for them? Until the Father draws them and prepares them, they wouldn't understand anything. Anyway, the, the, we want to read the Bible and understand it. We want to know why he spoke in parables. We want to understand that there is a place for harshness. We want to understand there's a place for hardness. And the Lord Jesus Christ used them all perfectly. He could also say, Children, do you understand everything that I've taught? Yea, Lord. Now that's as personal and as kind as you can get. The same man. And I love him just the way he is. Amen. To those that love him, he is gentle and kind and forgiving and perfect. And to those that want to hate him, he can tear them to shreds verbally. Every time you are upset with the injustice in America, just come back to the Bible. You're wasting your time in the bad news of America. Get into the Bible with the good news of Jesus Christ and find perfect justice every time for every kind of sinner. Amen. The Lord be magnified. It is a foolish error to believe, as many teach, that parables are simply are simple earthly stories to convey deep heavenly meanings for common uneducated people to learn the truth. Did you ever hear that one before? That parables are simple earthly stories to convey heavenly meanings to simple people. No, that is not the definition of a parable anywhere, anytime, by anyone. A parable is an enigma. A parable is a proverb. A parable is a dark saying. A parable is an obscure metaphor. A parable is not express language. Express language is, this is that. A parable is a comparison. It's a metaphor. It's always obscure. And the disciples, fishermen, understood that, but seminarians don't. And Sunday school teachers don't. But fishermen did. That's why they asked, why do you speak in parables? They don't understand these obscure things that you're saying. I hope that you enjoyed in the song, Break Thou the Bread of Life, that the religion of Jesus Christ is a reveal and conceal religion, stated in that fourth verse, that from the word of God, it conceals the truth from some and reveals the truth to others. Truth is not a right. Truth is a blessed privilege. And we should thank God, the Lord be magnified, for every bit of truth that you have heard and every bit of truth that you have believed and every bit of truth that you have understood. It is a privilege and a blessing. We chose lies in the Garden of Eden, and that is what we deserve. We turned away from the truth of God's Word and the, tr and the tree of life and could have lived forever. It's not a right. The rule, a general rule of Jesus Christ's kingdom is in verse 12. And I love this kind of an incentive plan. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in all His ways. If you remember anything out of the... Uh, out of the book of Isaiah, how about Isaiah chapter 11, where it described the righteousness of his reign. 
He did not judge after the seeing of his eyes. He does not judge after the hearing of his ears. He judges men's hearts and their lives, their character and their conduct. And he is absolutely perfect and flawless. And this is a rule of his kingdom. And he uses this rule in other settings because the rich get richer in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the poor get poorer. And that's his incentive plan. And I love it. So let me say it again. When you're reading too much of the bad news about this country, which you can't do a thing about and doesn't do you a bit of good and is highly dangerous, but when you're doing that and you're unsettled by the injustice, come back to the Bible. It's perfect justice. Here, right. here it goes. This is what it sounds like. Whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Whoever likes my truth, I'm going to give him more truth. And I'm going to bury him in truth. I'm just going to pile truth up for him. But whosoever doesn't have much truth, I'm going to take away from him even that he hath. Now when it says, whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath, how do you take something away from a man that doesn't have anything to begin with? He's going to take away even what the man thinks he has. He's going to render the man an idiot. And we've seen it. We've seen it. If you choose to disobey against the God of glory, and if you choose to disobey the God of revelation and truth, do not be surprised if he takes away revelation and truth from you to where you end up following foolish lies that earlier in your career as a so-called Christian, you could have easily discerned the difference. But you can't now because you're deceived. Because he's taken away even that which he thinketh he hath. I love that. The man, that had, the man that had was given five pounds or five talents, he earned five more. He's given ten. Be thou a ruler over many cities. Thank you for the, way, for the return on investment that you gave me. I love the ROI you gave me. Be a ruler over many cities. But then the guy comes with his napkin. Lord, you're so hard. You're so hard and you're so scary. Here's the pound you gave me. What does the Lord say? Take the pound away from that man and give it to the man with ten. And if anybody says that isn't fair, that is systemic injustice. I say it is systemic, pure justice, and I love it. The man who wasted an investment by burying it doesn't deserve anything but to be thrown into outer darkness where my Jesus threw him. So let's get rid of all of those. I'll pick it up later. Lord, look at that. That's 12. That's verse 12. The way you respond to truth has an enormous impact on your life. And I'm saying this to every one of you individually. Some of you have shown great zeal for truth, and I've seen it in your lives, and I've watched the Lord bless you with more truth. But I'm also saying it to the whole church as a whole. Let us always be careful how we respond to truth, that he will continue to show us more truth and not leave us in the congregation of the dead like so many have been left. The issue is truth. If you give truth earnest heed, you get more truth. Let's give it more earnest heed. Let's not let truth slip. Let's not, let, let's not neglect truth. As I taught you from Hebrews chapter 2, opening up the day. So I speak to them in parables, so that though they think they're seeing, 
And though they do have eyes, they can't discern spiritual things and they can't hear spiritual things. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. That was Isaiah chapter 6. You know verses 1 through 8 because it's Isaiah's vision of God's glory. But then verses 9 through 13 are the ministry Isaiah was going to have. God said, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Then the Lord said, I want you to go and have a fattening ministry on them. I want you to make their ears so fat they can't hear. I want you to close up their eyes so they can't hear. I want you to be a ministry of condemnation to the nation. And Isaiah says, Lord, how long? And he says, until there's only a few left, but I'll leave a tenth for myself. Do you remember that? Isaiah 6, 9 through 13. It is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. I have heard Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, so many times at missionary conferences and missionary services to get somebody to come forward and say, I'll be a missionary because here am I, send me. But nobody ever teaches or explains verses 9. Never. And when I say never, I'm not making a generalization. When I say never, they never, not one time, not ever, explain verses 9 through 13. Because they do not understand the Bible. All they are raising is Catholic Jesuits to go be Arminian Baptist missionaries. They compass the earth, land, and sea to make one more proselyte more the child of hell than they were. That's Jesus condemning the Pharisees and their missionary endeavors. That is being so partial in the Word of God to focus on that 7th and 8th verses in order to get someone to make a commission, commitment to the mission field and then not explain the rest. And the reason I went off on that rabbit trail, it's not really a rabbit trail because it's verses 14 and 15 right here. Verses 14 and 15 in Matthew chapter 13 are from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. You are not under the judgment that the rest of the nation is, I've given you eyes to see, and I'm going to reveal truth to you, and your ears, you're going to be able to understand it. And brethren, he's saying to them, and I'm saying to you, the content that I'm giving you is something that righteous men and prophets have desired to see, but never got to see it in detail. What a blessing we have. What a tremendous blessing we have. The timing of when we were born, the preachers sent to us, the New Testament completed, and it's 27 books in fulfilled. We didn't need the ministry of prophets like at Corinth, where a prophet would stand up for five minutes and all of a sudden run out and get a blank look on his... I don't mean run out of the assembly. I mean he would run out of things to say. He'd get a blank look on his face and have to sit down. And then another prophet would get up and run for four minutes this time, and then he's done because they didn't have the finished New Testament scriptures. But when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part shall be done away. And we have that which is perfect. And it reveals fantastic, glorious truth to us about the New Testament kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that is on the winning side, brethren. It wins in the end. It wins big in the end. It's total dominion over all its enemies. Rejoice with me. So that's reason number one why Jesus used parables down two-thirds of the way down your page. Let's go to the explanation of the sower. Verse 18 through 23. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You say, how do you know that? Because I've read Acts chapter 28 where Paul tells us what it is. It, for those that want to know. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So the Lord Jesus is giving us a beautiful explanation for the four kinds of ground that were given to us in verses 3 through 9. He's going to lay it out to us. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. We're still at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Thank you, Lord. I wasn't sure what that wayside ground was for. Well, it's somebody that hears the gospel and just lets the devil take it away. Verse 20, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he become unfruitful. But he that receives seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And amen. Thank you, Lord. The parable of the sower. While it is an axiom of truth that God must prepare hearts for men to understand, that is not the lesson here. It does not matter which ground is regenerate or unregenerate. Such worries only distract from the true lesson. The unregenerate can only be the first three kinds of ground, but the regenerate can be all four kinds of ground. Right. I hope you understand that. If the truth be told, which it will be one day soon, we have been all four kinds of ground ourselves. The salvation at stake, as mentioned by Luke, is practical salvation from heresy, from fruitlessness, and from sin. The danger is clear. Fruitlessness deserves God's judgment. In verse 19, the wayside hearer. This is a person that doesn't focus while I'm preaching. They daydream while I'm preaching. They can barely keep themselves upright. It's a painful chore to have to sit there while I stand here and last until I say amen. They don't really want to be here. They don't review anything. They don't focus their minds. They're, they're just daydreamers. They don't read in between Sundays. They don't pray in between Sundays. They don't prepare like they should. And so they're just hard ground. They're not, they're not eager to hear the truth that could come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And so much could be said, but that has all been said before. And if you want to hear it in detail, then go listen to a sermon on the website entitled The Parable of the Sower. Because I'm not going to... Ex well, the lack of understanding is a choice. It is not a lack of intelligence, education, or age. It is a choice. The lesson is stated best in Luke. Luke 8 has this parable and its explanation. But Jesus draws a conclusion differently than here. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. And then he gives that rule of verse 10. For him that hath to be given and him that hath not shall be taken away. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. It is not wait for the Lord to prepare the ground. It is take heed, therefore, how ye hear. The therefore is because of the four kinds, the four different ways you can hear. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Every one of us need to be careful how we hear preaching. Right. How attentive we are. How prepared we are. How much we've prayed for it. How much we review. How much we, do we apply it. How much do we talk to others about it. 
to keep ourselves focused in it. These are churchgoers doing the motions, staying upright with pain during preaching. The preaching makes it to their hearts only in the sense of awareness and a notion of truth. Preaching becomes only words, sounds, and out there truth. So the devil steals it. Terrible. Terrible situation. These people are gone, and if you were to ask them at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they would be hard-pressed to remember what was taught that day. Let's, let's not have a single one of those in our church. Right. Let's never be with that kind of a hearer. I've been that kind of a hearer before in my life. I'm 63 years old. I've been all kinds, all foregrounds. Verse 21 is the one that uh, was stony ground, so he couldn't go down to survive. He didn't have a good root system. And so when persecution arose, which is the sun that scorched it, he gets in trouble because, oh no, he's going to have to give up this. He's going to lose this friend. He's going to lose this child because they're going to desert him for the gospel that he stands for. And oh, that's just too much for them. So they're gone. And you can be gone in all kinds of ways. You don't have to leave an assembly. You can just sit here and be gone because you've let the gospel slip because you had to pay a price that you think is unfair. Listen, there's no price that is too much for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If everyone forsakes me, including my wife, but the Lord still gives me his truth and his presence, I have everything. Amen. I'm not going to have her in heaven anyway, and I'm pretty close to that. And you understand exactly because you feel the same way. We talk about it often. If she were to lose everything, but she has the Lord Jesus Christ, his presence, his power, and his truth, she has everything. Well, how can you use everything both ways? The same way Jesus can say, him that hath not shall be taken away, even that that he hath. So, mercy. Mercy. This is a negative deterrent against discipleship. Worldly opposition and persecution. Don't you love the martyrs that we do every few years? We have those martyrs to remind us that though they were persecuted and troubled and tormented and tortured greatly and lost their lives in painful, slow ways, they held to the truth. Because with that truth, they had Jesus with his hand reached out for them. They weren't afraid at all. They were singing praise and asking God to forgive their tormentors. That's why we do it. The thorns is the man who gets choked out by business. Flip over a few pages to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I asked you to read the first 14 verses of Matthew 22 last evening. Verse 1, Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. Notice that. Again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven, that is the gospel era of the New Testament, is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. It's a, it's a celebration and it's a time to rejoice and, and to enjoy the good things of God put under the figure of a marriage. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. That doesn't mean you don't come to church. It means you come to church and you don't embrace the gospel truth and realize God's best for your life by saving you. Please, if you get too particular with the details of a parable, you're going to get messed up. It's just, a, it's just a big party that the Lord wants to throw for you through Jesus Christ, his son. Big party. And he, and he offered it to all the, the Jewish nation. And only 120 wanted it in Acts chapter 1. The rest he burned up. Oh, yeah, that's coming. Sorry. Verse 4, again, he sent forth servants saying, other servants, tell them what you're bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. 
But they made light of it. They neglected it from Hebrews 2. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. The servants of the prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they killed them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And the issue that I want, the point that I want, is from verse 5. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So back here in Matthew chapter 13, when it describes the thorny ground, the thorns spring up and choke out the fruitfulness of a Christian because of the deceitfulness of riches, and he becomes unfruitful because he's worried too much about his farm, he's worried too much about his merchandise. And so he makes light of it, or he neglects it, and he lets the beauty and the value of the gospel slip from him. And we cannot let that happen. Right. Nothing is more important. Listen, marriage isn't more important than your relationship with the Jesus Christ. Your children aren't more important at all. I still love you. Your children aren't more important. Nothing is more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to lose it all or he'll take it from you. Right. Be willing to lose it all. And then when he takes it from you, you're giving him a sacrifice. And he's, he delights in that sacrifice. He promised that his son would have a sword and would make a division in families. Jesus comes first. The gospel comes first. The kingdom comes first. Nothing else matters. And so we have verse 22. That's the thorny ground. And the good ground has different levels of yield, and I've already mentioned that to you, as to why in an honest and good heart they yield more than others. The lesson here, the lesson, remember? Five lessons by eight Proverbs. Lesson number one, response to the gospel. How do you respond to the gospel? Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Lesson number one, from parable number one, is your response to the gospel. So when you're reading through Matthew 13, and you say, I want to understand these parables, get the lesson. Right. Don't worry about the four different kinds of grounds. They're pretty simple, and Jesus explains it very well. The deceitfulness of riches chokes out fruitfulness. He's more interested in his business than he is the kingdom service of Jesus Christ. Now that's just so, you don't need any help with that. What you need help with is, what kind of ground are you? I, I want to jump out of this pulpit and walk around to every single person. What kind of ground are you? Over the last one year of your life, what is the average kind of ground you've been? Is it 90% good ground? 5% Thorny ground, 5% stony, and zero wayside hearer? What is it? You know, to come around and ask you is just to try to give you conviction. Because I, don't, I really don't have to ask. All I have to do is look. Because when you walk into a field, or you walk into an orchard, or you walk anywhere where there are crops growing, you can tell if they're fruitful or not. Right. Oh, it's not time to harvest this yet. It hasn't even budded. Well, you know, I look around and some don't ever bud. You don't do a thing for anybody. You don't serve Jesus Christ. No one's ever heard a positive thing out of your mouth about Jesus Christ in so long they've forgotten whether you're a Christian or not, except you come every Sunday. And so Jesus taught. There's four ways we can respond to the gospel, and that's the lesson. Verses 24 through 30. This is the parable of the tares. It won't be explained here, but let's get into another parable. This is parable number two. I just gave that one away. Jesus gave it away with tares in verse 25. Parable number two is the parable of the tares. Parable number two. 
Verse 24, Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And so is the parable of the tares, which is parable number two. This is the second of the eight parables. It sounds like the parable of a sower, because it's got seed in it again. This is parable number two with seed, but it's a very different parable. And then it's going to be the mustard seed, so that's three seeds, and it's going to be very different from these two. So don't try to compare seed in the different parables of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 25, while men slept. That's at night. Under the guise and cover of darkness, an enemy crept in to try to destroy the estate of the man who sowed good seed in his field. Because it says so, good seed, in verse 24. And then he went his way. And so there's now two kinds of plants in the ground. There's good seed that's going to grow up, and there's bad seed that's going to grow up. And when the blade was sprung up, in verse 26, and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Tares are weeds. Listen, they're nitrogen-neutralizing weeds that are very precious and very important for farmers, but learning anything more about them than what I just said is a waste of your time. Tares have a very specific definition for farmers. A very specific plant. Very specifically planted intentionally, but never with a grain crop. Because you don't want them in the same crop. And so the blade of the good seed sprung up and brought forth fruit. Notice that we've got fruitful Christians here. I'm getting ahead of myself. The good seed sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares as well. And now there's some servants here. These servants are important here because in Jesus' explanation, he's going to assume that you're learning some things along the way, and he's going to start to shorten his explanations. And he will not mention these servants. He will only mention the reapers. And then he's going to give you parables and not give you an explanation at all because he expects you to be smart enough by that point. of Listen, I love a master like that. Listen, didn't you, weren't you challenged in school when the teacher had to dumb down everything to hit the mean of the 25 kids in class? So you're making airplanes and shooting spit wads and rubber bands because you're bored out of your mind? Not with the Lord Jesus Christ. He expects you to be learning. He is going to shorten his explanation for the parable of the tares. There's going to be no servants in it. And servants are very important. And then the other parables, he's not even going to give an explanation. He's going to expect you to figure it out. And he's going to get to the end with some ignorant, uneducated fishermen. He's going to say, children, did you understand everything? Yea, Lord. Yes, we can do it. We can do it. 
So verse 27 has servants in it. I'll mention the servants when we come to the interpretation of it. And so they come and say, sir, because they are servants. They want the best for their master. They want this householder to be successful. Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? We assume that you bought the best seed you could possibly buy for us to scatter in that field. Where did these tares come from? And he said, an enemy's done it. And the servant said, well, let's go out and rip up those tares. I hope you're thinking about who those servants are. Lord, let me go rip up the tares. I can't stand tares. I hate tares. Tares make me sick and make me angry. They wreck my life, tares. I want to get rid of tares. I want the wheat to flourish. I want the good seed to flourish. And the, and the, the householder says, Nay, no, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Because while they're young and still growing in the ground, I don't know if you servants can fully discern the difference between a carnal Christian and a reprobate. Uh, I'm giving it away a little early. Let both grow together until the harvest, where they have fully grown, their lives are complete, their, their works are in the, in the books of works before the holy God, and in the time of harvest I will say, oh, I'm giving it away, but I can't help it. I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. Servants, I know that you're concerned because you look out in that field and you see two kinds of plants coming up. But listen, they look pretty much like each other. And so I fear that if you were to go out there and rip out the tares, you're going to rip out some wheat and that wouldn't be kind to the wheat. So I'm going to hold you back. I'm going to hold you back and you just keep digging and dunging and I'll take care of it in harvest when the plants are fully grown and I will send out reapers that are able to recognize on a finished plant the difference between wheat and tare and those reapers will make the difference. And so I'm going to ask you to back off, and you just do your part of digging and dunging and let them both grow. I have it all covered. Oh, do you know what it's like to be a preacher of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that it's all covered? And know that he and I will have the last laugh together? I love this Lord Jesus Christ. I have reapers that will take care of it. You just let them both grow. Of course, there are other passages in the Bible that tell us that when some sin against God is publicly known by all, that person's to be dealt with. But that's not, this, that's not part of this lesson. This is part of the lesson that in a church, and in every church, there are tares in that church that are children of the devil. Every church has them. Tares of the devil. They sit among us. They don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't love his gospel. They don't love his brethren. They don't serve. They don't show. They don't have works. They don't have fruits. They're not blossoming with all the fruit of the Spirit. And so I preach and I dig and I dung, and the Lord will take care of it with his reapers in the end. And so that's the parable with some of its explanation that's coming.